Well, we've been going through the book of Isaiah, and uh, we're going to be in chapter 32 next week. And if you want to prepare, um, we're going to be in chapters 32 through, through 33. You can read ahead uh, for next week. Um, but I want to start out with just the first verse of, of Isaiah 32 this morning. It says, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. There will come a day for all of us when we get to see Jesus face to face, when he rules and reigns in this kingdom. Okay, all the kids in the room, I need you to, to look at me for a second. I want you guys to give me your best impression of what a crown looks like. Everybody show me what a crown would look like, little kids. Yeah, that's a good one, John. Good job. Oh, yours is kind of like moose antlers. I like that one. I'd like that kind of a crown, moose antlers. Yeah, absolutely. There will come a day where Jesus will reign as king. And there's an interesting thing that it says there. It says princes will rule in justice. Jesus will be king that we can see, but those of us who are with him will rule as well. But this isn't a ruling like we're used to in the world. When we hear about kings in the world or rulers in the world, we think that they have power over the top of us. That they're scary because they want to hold us down. But the reality is, is how those of us that will reign with Jesus will reign and rule is we will rule in love. Now, don't worry, I'm not a flashback from the 1970s, you know, peace, love, man. That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about serious love where service is at the heart of the rule of the king. And so even more amazing in this reign is that God will be reigning in love, but his people will also be ruling and reigning in love. Now, the Bible says over and over again that Jesus has a throne, okay? Jesus has a throne that he sits on, and that throne is made of righteousness and justice. Everybody say righteousness and justice. We should get used to hearing this because it's all throughout the Bible. Righteousness is right relationship. Everybody say righteousness is right relationship. And justice is the activity that brings about that right relationship. So Jesus will be reigning in a way where he is restoring all right relationship. He's restoring the status of mankind in relationship with God. And he's doing this in justice. And so we're reminded by this verse that the kingdom will one day take place in fullness. But in the meantime, where is Jesus? Somebody point to Jesus. Up there, huh? Yeah. It's kind of like going to Trader Joe's. Anybody go to Trader Joe's? You try and find Mojo? Who does that? Any kids in here? My kids are like all over it because they get lollipops at the end of it. Heaven's going to be even better than the lollipops you get, right? I know it's hard to imagine. But the reality is, is that we look around for Jesus all the time going, where is he? Where is he? And a lot of times, uh, this one time we went to Trader Joe's and my kids were all, you know, wandering around going, where's Jesus? And they're all looking down here, okay? Well, what do I do? Because of my height. If I come to your house, remember that I'm the one that will look on the top of your fridge. So make sure and clean it before I come over, right? Okay? Somebody actually did that. They're like, we, we clean the top of our fridge because we knew you were coming, right? But I do. I look up all the time. And so I said to my kids, I was like, look up. You'll see him. And they did. And there he was on the roof, right? He was stuck up on the ceiling. I think a lot of times we look around for Jesus going, where is he? Where is he? When the reality is, is he's right in front of us. Look to your left and then look to your right. Go ahead, do it. Left and then right. If the person sitting to your left or to your right is a believer in Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit is within them. His Holy Spirit motivates them and drives them. 
And the Holy Spirit, what he does is he unites you together with them in love and faith. Jesus is right in front of you in physical nature by the body that surrounds you of of his body, the church. And so we could say that in a sense, we are ruling within his kingdom right now. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, the Bible says. He is on his throne. And those that are his citizens will act in righteousness and justice, even though the world around them doesn't. See, we don't act because the world tells us to do something. We act because we follow the rule of our king. And the rule of the king is generosity, love, righteousness, freedom, grace, mercy. And one of the greatest stories that I think is in the Bible about in the midst of brokenness, a reign of righteousness and justice that is shown is a story that actually you guys are going to learn about, kiddos, next week. Okay, kids, how many of you have been listening about David and Jonathan? How many of you have heard that? Caleb's listening in class. Who else? You're listening in class? Okay, awesome. we got a few. Nice. Good job. Okay. David and Jonathan, you're going to learn about somebody else who comes into the story of David. D- David? David. David. There we go. Uh, his name is, everybody say it after me, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Okay, I want all the kids in the room to, to say, and this means all of you that are truly kids at heart, say Mephibosheth five times fast. Go. It gets kind of cloudy, doesn't it? Right? Okay. Mephibosheth is this interesting character. Everybody, if you're not there already, turn to 2 Samuel 9. And we're going to see how the kingdom of God reigns and rules within people, even in the midst of brokenness and darkness. You're going to learn about this, kiddos, next week. So parents, this is your chance to learn about this story in a way where you can talk to your kiddos next week, something that should happen every Sunday after church. How did it go? Here's the story. Let's talk about it, a way to help disciple your children. This is the story of Mephibosheth. The first king to rule Israel. Quiz time. The first king, kiddos, to rule Israel is who? Good job, Israel, the largest child in the room. boy. No, it's good. It's good. Okay. Everybody say Saul. Saul was the first king. And Saul had a son named Jonathan. He had other sons too. But Jonathan, very good. Who said that? Nice work. Yes. See, she's coloring and she still pays more attention than most of you adults. Seriously. Okay? He had a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan was the one he wanted to turn the kingdom over to. But God looked at Saul and saw that Saul was disobedient and unrepentant. And so he raised up a different man to be king. Who was the man that God raised up instead of Saul? What was his name? David. Very good. David. Good job, David. So King David was the one that was ruling. But he hadn't been put in place yet. There was still going to be some ups and downs to his kingdom. Now, the sons of Saul had also been killed. They had been murdered wrongly. And David was brokenhearted about this. And so David cried out to all of his servants and he said, Is there anyone, anyone from the family of Saul that I can care for and love? Now, why did he do this? Well, because he had made a covenant commitment to Jonathan, his best friend. Here's what it says in 1 Samuel 20. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan is crying out to David saying, David, take care of my family even if I'm gone. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance 
on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. And so they had made this covenant commitment to be friends, to care for one another. That's what we mean when we say that we are a community that lives in covenant. We purposefully promise one another that we will not leave nor forsake the other person. We will walk with them in the good times and the bad. It's very similar to the wedding vow people make. Whether you're sick or healthy, we will care for you. Whether you're in disobedience or obedience, we will try and draw you to Christ. This is the covenant commitment that we make as Christians to one another. But David and Jonathan made this covenant commitment. And so when the sons of Saul had been killed, David said, is there anyone I can love? Now, who in this room would like to be loved in that way? Raise your hand. Who would like to be loved in covenant commitment? See, it starts to get kind of scary if you ask that question. Well, one of Saul's old servants, a man by the name of Ziba, not Zebra, Ziba, he came along and Ziba said to him, hey, there is this guy, this guy named Mephibosheth. Say Mephibosheth five times fast. Go. You are never going to forget that name. Now, his name is very interesting. In the Hebrew, it's Mevibosheth. Mevibosheth. That's even harder to say five times fast. But what it means, what it means is shame that has been blown away. Shame that has been blown away. And he had a, he had a life that was really tough. You see, when he was a little guy, how many of you are five years old in the room? Raise your hand. How many of you are four years old in the room? Raise your hand. Three? Two. Shane, raise your hand. One? Okay, nice. Nice. Yes. All right. So when, when he was a young guy, I think about five years old, he heard that these people were coming to attack his family. And so the woman who was caring for him picked him up and started running with him. And she tripped and she fell. And Mephibosheth fell on the ground and his legs broke. Very sad. And so from that day on, he couldn't walk ever again. People had to carry him wherever he went. He was a guy who couldn't stand up and go play. He had to be taken care of. And so most of the people around him at that time thought, we don't want to take care of him. And so he grew up with shame because he had broken legs. The reality is there's no shame in that whatsoever. And God wanted to love Mephibosheth. And so there's this awesome story that comes along that we see. Take a look at 2 Samuel 9.5. Then King David sent and brought him, Mephibosheth, from the house of Machir, the son of Emiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage to him and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table." Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, and Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's own sons. 
First we see, there's two things we see in this story. The first thing we see, you can write this down, is the king's love. You see the king's love. In an amazing way, David loved Jonathan so much that he passed that love on to Mephibosheth. Was there anything Mephibosheth had done to earn this love? Okay, even bigger question, was there anything Mephibosheth could do to earn this love? He was lame in his feet. He couldn't serve David in any capacity. And yet, not because of his love for Mephibosheth, but because of his love for Jonathan, the king cared for him in a way and loved him in a way that even if he didn't deserve it, he received that love. Guys, the reason that we love one another is not because the person sitting to your left or right deserves to be loved. In fact, on any given Sunday, they probably don't deserve it at all. Raise your hand if you don't really deserve love today. That should be everybody. Raise your hand. Everybody. None of us deserve love today. But because of our love, my love for Jesus Christ, I love you. Just as the king loved Jonathan, he passed it on to Mephibosheth. The same thing for the body of Christ. Mephibosheth had been hiding and had lost everything, the kingdom, his wealth, his protection, his provision. And what David did was he restored everything. Not just a little bit, he restored everything. He gave Mephibosheth back his land. He had Ziba and all his family of servants work the land so that Mephibosheth would profit from it. And on top of all of that, he turned Mephibosheth into a VIP, a very important person, and let him sit at the table of the king. And the word there means continually. Not just once in a while, but every meal forever. He got to sit at the table of the king. The second thing that we see this morning is Mephibosheth's response. We see the response that he has. He says to David, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? He was so dead he couldn't even bark. He rightly speaks to the fact that he is nothing more than a servant in the presence of the king and that without the king, he's as good as dead. He says the right thing and he feels it in his heart. But then we also see that he rightly accepts the grace of the king. It's really easy for us. You guys, uh, man, it is unbelievably humbling when you have someone serve you, isn't it? Right? And man, some of you are so good at this. You guys serve and serve and serve, but the second you need something, what do you do? Oh, I'm good, right? Anybody like that in here? Yeah, okay. Yesterday, a, about 13 wonderful, amazing young adults showed up at our house, and they said, Hans, we love you so much, we're going to weed your entire house. Now, for some of you, you might think, oh, that's nice. What, what were they there, like 30 minutes, you know, 13 people, they should take care of that fat. They were there for three hours. That's how bad my yard was, Right? And seriously, they they know that our family pours so much into ministering that we don't have time to do that. And it was so, so hard for me. I I went and bought them food, and I wanted to buy them more food, and I wanted to hand out gift cards, and I wanted to pay them for what they were doing. The hardest thing for me and my wife and our kids was to say, we'll just accept your grace. How much does that show my wrong heart that I think I need to earn grace? I may easily say it towards Jesus. Yeah, I'll take your grace. That means heaven, right? But man, when it gets placed in front of me, in someone else, in the Spirit of God through another human being, I say, no, I don't need it. I can work it off. We need to be people that give and receive grace just as Mephibosheth did. 
And so look at verse 11 right at the end there. It says, So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. This is why we can call ourselves the children of the Most High King, is because we may not be related to Jesus Christ by blood, but because he has opened up his table to us, we can say that we are his children. Well, the last thing I want you to see from this story is an encouragement I want to give you today. I want you to taste and see the kindness of the king. A little bit of a play on words here on an agape meal Sunday. Taste and see, right? Taste and see the kindness of the king. But this morning, I want to encourage you, just as Mephibosheth did, to taste and see the kindness of the king. It would have been easy for him to refuse and say, oh, Lord, you don't want me at your table. Or, or oh, Lord, I'll try and work it off. But see, the reality is, is God gave him, or God ga- gives us love just as David gave Mephibosheth love. And you don't just sit there and take, take, take. You then give it out. You then pass it on. David knew because he was a man after God's own heart that the way to love Yahweh, his God, the God that would send his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, the way to love him is to love other people. And the truth for us today is that we have a king that is better than David. Amen? David was a good king, but we have a king who is better than David whose throne is founded on righteousness and justice and who restores the brokenhearted and lifts the oppressed. We have a king who takes all of us that are as good as dead dogs in our own sin and selfishness, and he restores us to communion and fellowship with him and with one another. Yahweh, the ultimate king, our creator God, saw our state, that we were dead in sin, and he sent his son Jesus Christ to pay the price for that sin, to live a life that spoke to the fact that the kingdom was coming, a kingdom of restoration and healing. And then he died for our sins and resurrected, proving that he is the king of all, that he had been given authority even over death and hell. And in that death and resurrection, God restored to us the world, just as David restored to Mephibosheth his own land. Satan tried to take the world for himself, but God has given it back to us, and we get to eat at the table of the king continually. You see, Mephibosheth wasn't invited to the table because he was perfect. He was invited because he was willing to accept the grace of the king. And in fact, it says that he was lame in his feet, which means that till the day he died, he could not repay the king. Look at verse 13. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. You and I, whether it feels like it or not, have been invited to sit at the table of the Lord in the midst of his kingdom, and he is here amongst us. By his Holy Spirit, he is here amongst us, just as much as if we saw him face to face. The Holy Spirit, he dwells in us and within the collective body of Christ. And so as you look at one another, as you're loving to one another, as you care for one another, as you sing together, within that Christ is magnified and glorified. It says that he is enthroned upon the praises of his people. And so we collectively worship God together today. After 40 days on this earth, after his resurrection, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the throne, or of the Father. And that never stopped. Jesus is enthroned just as much today as he will be when he sits on a throne physically on this earth. And he's promising to return and to rule and reign in love and justice and righteousness. 
And so you and I this morning, as we anticipate that new Jerusalem, we get to sit in a space at the table of the Lord, and we get to rejoice with one another in a feast very similar to the feast of the Lamb that will happen because the Holy Spirit dwells amongst us and is in us. And so as we take time to worship in song and time to go and eat of the Lord's table, of the bread that symbolizes His body, and of the cup that symbolizes His blood that was given for us, as we go to give of our tithes and offerings at the tables and in the back, we get to worship Him together and tell Him that we accept His grace and we worship Him because of it. And in that love and generosity and kindness that we will show one another in something as simple as a love feast this morning, we will experience the kindness of the King. So many people that I run into as Christians, they say, I know Jesus, I've learned about him, but I don't feel loved as much as I want to. And so we stand at home and we pray as much as we can and we worship to music as much as we can and we keep saying, Lord, help me feel loved. Well, guys, we're in physical bodies. You know how you feel loved? When the body of Christ loves you. When the body of Christ reaches out to you and by the Spirit contained within it, cares for you and gives you genuine kindness and unconditional love. Today, we get to experience the partial kingdom by our care for one another, looking forward to the fullness of the perfect kingdom that is to come. You see, this life, this church, all of it will disappear one day. But what won't come to an end is love. Love will never end. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Little children, and I don't mean this to just the kids in the room, little children, let us put aside all that hinders us from loving one another this morning. And let us walk in spiritual maturity, putting aside the childish ways of selfishness and self-protection and maturing in Christ to the place where we will put ourselves out there. We will put our necks on the line and be transparent and vulnerable to one another. Dear flock, let us love one another this morning.